Age to Practice, applying educational reading in the classroom. Join in the conversation using hashtag PagePracticePodcast. From Page to Practice is a podcast focusing on the application of educational reading in the classroom. Each episode features one book or article, my reflections and the thoughts of my guests on its use and impact in the classroom. Some episodes may also feature an introduction from the author. Hi and welcome to the second episode of Caesaries 3 of From Page to Practice. Apologies for the delay in this episode. I've recently started a new school and role and it's been full on. I needed a break last weekend and I just couldn't put the effort into the podcast that it deserved. We're really lucky today to have a contribution from author of The Feedback Pendulum, Michael Charles, and reflections from four readers of the book who will tell us how they've applied their reading to their practice. Hello, my name is Michael Charles and I'm the author of The Feedback Pendulum. Really pleased that people have contributed to this episode for Page for Practice and it's a real good opportunity to share some reflections of what people thought of the book and I'm looking forward to hearing some of those reflections from the contributors. One of the reasons why I wrote The Feedback Pendulum was because of the importance that feedback as a pedagogy principle sort of has within the classroom. It's a really important aspect of our practice and it's something that teachers do every single day throughout their lessons and the amount of feedback that teachers give to pupils, the amount of feedback that pupils give to teachers but also pupil to pupil and teacher to teacher and also from teachers to parent and pupil to parent, it's such um, a massive part of our daily life as teachers. So in the book, I set out some of the core sort of principles that I believe are sort of important and set out my manifesto for improving feedback in education. In the first part, in terms of introduction, I look at the core principles of what we mean by feedback. In the second part, I look at this idea of less feedback or less marking, sorry, and more feedback. And does our current process of feedback need to change? I then look at feedback to pupils and how we can support pupils to feed forward with that feedback. Look at feedback to teachers and I look at feedback to parents. And then there are some closing thoughts from John Hattie. In the first part, I look at this idea that as teachers, we have been through turmoil in terms of the feedback that we've been expected to give to pupils. And actually, the idea of feedback has become interwoven or tangled up with that idea of marking and I think from from my perspective and the reason why I thought it was really really important was because the amount of time that teachers have invested in marking and that has inevitably led to practice that maybe not have been as effective and therefore actually what we've seen is lots of triple marking We've seen lots of situations where the quantity of marking was king over the quality. So I talk about how there are many times in the past where I've worked in schools and if some teachers have been marking all the time and they've got loads of red pen on the books, they were seen as the, the people with the best practice. But ultimately, that's not something sustainable. 
And so I set out some ideas and some strategies and principles that we can adopt in schools that can sort of challenge that unstable ship of lots of marking over actually giving effective feedback. Of course, the core aspect of any feedback that we give to pupils is that pupils actually respond to that feedback. And this is something that John Hattie and I talked about and some of the things that he expressed in his closing thoughts. Even if we give pupils feedback, whether it's written, whether it's verbal, we need to actually encourage pupils to act on it. Otherwise, it doesn't have the impact that we want it to have. And that's something that's really important is those next steps. So we can sit there, we can mark lots of books, but actually, do pupils read that feedback? And is that feedback that you're giving them from the marking actually effective? Do they do something with it? Do they have time to sort of focus on those next steps? And something that I talk about in the feedback to pupils in particular is that actually what we need to look at is a sort of different approach to feedback, where feedback is all about pupils being given the opportunity to move and on to the next steps. And it's looking at how they can not improve the piece of work itself, but how they, we can use feedback to improve the learner. And that's something that I focus a lot on. So initially I talk about the idea that we have to prime pupils for feedback and I think that's really important. Sharing the curriculum coherence with them, establishing and embedding the art of success, clarity of learning intention and creating a receptive culture because even if we give feedback, it doesn't necessarily mean that pupils want to receive it all the time. I also talk about this idea of adopting verbal feedback and that can be a powerful approach to giving in the moment feedback because we want pupils to sort of be put on the right track and not make those mistakes that we're then correcting after they've completed the piece of work. And all too often that can sometimes be too late if they've already made those mistakes. So that idea that the feedback can be in the moment and it doesn't mean we have to give a verbal feedback stamp. I also talk about this idea as well about whole class feedback. And I think that's a really powerful strategy to support that middle step to help pupils improve in terms of whatever um, the, the skill it is that you wanted them to, to master within your subject. Of course, in the next chapter, I move on and look at the idea of feedback to teachers. And I talk about that, that sort of concept of changing the historical CB, CPD culture. That idea that Feedback to teachers has become the stick to use to determine essentially whether teachers move up on the pay scale or whether they go um, on um, competency and all sorts of terrible stories about how feedback's been used to teachers. But actually, feedback should be about empowering others to improve their practice. It should be about guiding teachers to practice one skill at a time. So many occasions in so many schools that I've worked in where teachers have been given three, four targets to improve on, and they just can't do that. It's just not practical, and it's just not an effective way to help teachers to improve. So I talk about this idea of creating a culture where teachers have the time and the space to practice and master a skill, and they have time to collaborate and work with other teachers to become more responsive practitioners. And that idea of getting teachers off that wicked learning sets of environment that have been created and moving them away from 
observation, judgment, data, marking, and just the whole merry-go-round that we've inevitably developed in schools. And that has led to the sort of uh, low morale and low teacher retention. And in the final chapter, I talk about the importance of feedback to parents. And I think that's really crucial to close that feedback loop. We want parents to be involved in the feedback that we give to pupils. We want parents to be involved in the whole sort of learning journey throughout the school. And it's really important that we, we change the, the focus from parental engagement to parental partnership. And I think that's really important because often we give parents lots of information and a lot of feedback for their pupils, but do they actually understand that? Is it actually something that they can tangibly use to support their child uh, in the next steps of their learning? And the evidence suggests that the engagement varies. And that is often down to the fact that there's a difference, I could say there's a difference between uh, engaging pupils, uh, parents and pupils in the, the process of school life to actually creating a parental partnership. And I look and talk about the ideas of parental evenings and reporting and how we can move that forward to um, support that, that parental partnership. Series of spotlights throughout the book, which actually helped to bring some of the ideas to life. And, and I'm really sort of like grateful to those um, teachers and leaders and specialists who gave their time to share some of their thoughts on the process of feedback. And of course, John Hattie's final comments. And I think John Hattie summed up some of the points that I'd made in the book really, really well. And some of the things he talks about is that frenzy of feedback, which often adds little and is too rarely used to improve. It's more about them and what about aiming to inspire, to invoke emotions. And he also talks about the idea that on average, Despite the thunderstorm of feedback from teachers, students receive about three to five seconds of feedback a day. So whenever we give feedback, is it making the sound we want it to make? And if not, can we look about how we can sort of improve our approach to feedback so that it becomes an effective tool to support learners, to support teachers themselves, and to support parents in the whole process of schools hope you enjoy the podcast and of course you can get copies of the feedback pendulum direct from john cat or you can get it on amazon and i hope that it supports your next steps in improving it and improving this aspect of of teaching pedagogy if this is something is you that you are focusing on in your own school thanks everyone you're listening to from page to practice Join the conversation on Twitter using hashtag PagePracticePodcast. Thank you, Michael. I really appreciate the time that authors take to record a contribution for the episode as it provides a great introduction to the discussion. Of course, though, this podcast is all about how we apply the reading of these books to our practice, so let's hear from our readers. Just one returning voice this week and three new ones, which is great. So let's hear from Deepika. Hi, listeners. I am Deepika Narula. I am a chemistry teacher in a secondary school in Hertfordshire and uh, I have been teaching for just under 10 years and uh, I just want to thank Page to Practice for inviting me to share my views 
on the book The Feedback Pendulum by Michael Childs. Like I have told you before that I have been teaching just under 10 years and the way I have been marking is just a traditional way. I have been collecting students' books, marking them according to the school's policy. I have used green pens for students to respond on the marked piece of work and I've spent around two to two and a half hours in the past for marking one set of books. I have marked tests traditionally, given feedback question by question, where I have told students what are the right answers. I have used uh, stamps. I have used what went well, even better ifs. I have used two stars and wishes, but I don't use any of it anymore. Now, uh, what what changed the way I give feedback to students is I... I started reading Dylan Williams' Embedding Formative Assessment book. And I think it was until like, I think a year ago, I read that book. And in that book, what uh, was really interesting, what I found really interesting was that um, it it mentions a study which is done in US where... um, I think there was enough evidence to say that the single most thing that can improve, that can have the biggest impact on child or or on students' learning is uh, the quality of teaching. Uh, And I was a little bit shocked to read that, that yes, there has been research around it and it says that the uh, better teacher you are, uh, the more impact, positive impact you can have on students' learning. Now, I used to think that it is the intrinsic motivation of a student and uh, the background from which the students are coming or some are born naturally intelligent and they would do academically well. And I was like, okay, so this is quite interesting. I need to learn more about how to make me, my myself as a good teacher so that my students can do better. So I came across uh, this idea of whole class feedback. I have, uh, I, I would say I did came across uh, whole class feedback, but I really didn't have any clue about what it actually is until I read the feedback pendulum. So on my journey to improve my f- feedback, um, I started looking into books that I can read of about and I think I came across the feedback pendulum. Now there are two things that I would like to uh, point out that stuck with me and has improved the way I give feedback to my students is both are whole class feedbacks feedback and um, there is uh, one graphic organizer by David Goodman and I think that graphic organizer and the case study of uh, Greg Thornton and there is a crib sheet. These two things changed my uh, whole process of giving feedback to my students. Uh, Now, when second lockdown happened and the GCSE exams were cancelled, I realized that I still have year 11s and I might be teaching them until May half term and I can't just give them any piece of work. So I planned my lessons really well that they are doing some sort of revision But then along with giving work comes a whole load of marking. 
I can't mark each and every single piece of work like I used to, as I struggled a lot by with online teaching, and I think um, marking was uh, wearing me down at that time. So I thought of investing some time in reading about uh, using this whole class feedback idea. So I started collecting like a sample of one third of the class, and then I would look and record on um, just like a line piece of paper. Uh, at that time, I didn't use a crib sheet. And then look at the common errors and misconceptions. And then I would make, inform my next steps. Maybe I would reteach, give them some more questions to practice. Um, now, I, I used to do so record my lessons. And at that time, I would highlight what are the things they should be doing and which are the misconceptions, where were the incomplete work. Now, uh, just recently, since the uh, start of new year, I started to embed the crib sheet as well. And I adapted the crib sheet according to my needs. What I tend to do is I would collect uh, a sample of student work and I am not still collecting any books. I ask students to upload their work on Google Classroom, which is the platform that my school uses. I pick up a range of students, high ability, low ability and middle ability students. And I would uh, pick up again one third of the class, I would write down what are the main uh, misconceptions. Is there any gaps in learning? Are there any pieces of incomplete work? Are there any pieces of really good work? And then I would share that with my students in the class. From the crib sheet, how the crib sheet is helping me is I would write down students' initials as well, which students' books have I marked, so that next time uh, when I am marking any piece of work, I will concentrate on different students. Now, how the crib sheet has helped me is it has reduced my marking time to 30 minutes. And I think because I am formally writing down uh, where are the... Um, what are the good pieces of work, where are the misconceptions, where are the incomplete pieces of work. It's, it's giving me an overall idea about how my class is doing. And then the next lesson I will share with them that this is what I have found. And these are the misconceptions. For example, with my recent uh, year 12 class, I looked at, okay, this student has done really good work. This is how your method of working should be. And what I found was most of the students were not uh, rounding up the uh, answers up to three significant figures. Now, that was a really quick fix. So when I was uh, giving them classwork, we just, I was making sure uh, that students are uh, getting used to using three significant figures. Another piece of work that I did with year eight was on digestion. And uh, here in digestion, uh, I, I gave them a brain dump to do based on um, the, uh, the, the, like, like the 12 pages of the booklet that we were using in the class. Now, that, that is quite an open-ended task. 
so they they were told like what what does a good example of brain dump look like and what how they should be doing now what i noticed was students stuck with the main things like they would write down the labels or they would write down the use um, different organs in the digestive system and uh, their functions but what what they often for what most of them forgot was writing about enzymes and if they have written about enzymes they would have just named the enzyme and type of food group rather than um writing down what what that food uh, would be broken down into and again um i what i did then is i gave them uh work in the class where they are writing about enzymes and talking about um what are the different type of enzymes and how what type of food group they break down and what do what does it get broken down into now i also shared um, some good pieces of work and showed them show put on my screen to show them that like this child has done really good work and then um, i think uh, the main pitfall with this type of feedback is um, that my students started to question me that why why are are you not going to mark like each and everybody's work so i have to explain it to them that this is a research informed strategy and this is supposed to have more impact on their work and i think the more uh, not so much with the key stage three classes i think it was more to do with the gcse classes who were more worried about that oh you are not marking like giving us answers of each and every question like why is it just an overall general feedback and i think because uh, i just started doing this since september i still have to see how it goes on and uh, i i i am definitely 100% sure that it will have a positive impact on on their learning journey and uh, i think um, i would still keep on using it and i i think with the tests as well uh in the last summer term especially i started doing with year 12s that i would not go through each and every question with them i would only uh put the mark scheme on google classroom and then look at what where overall my class has gaps and then look on those gaps and think about has have a class discussion why did they get wrong give them that reflection time in the class where they are reflecting on okay uh, what what confused me on that question so i think this is what i have taken from this book and i think i i will keep on doing this and polishing my whole class feedback and um, and i think that is it from me thank you for listening to me Thanks a lot. You're listening to From Page to Practice. Join the conversation on Twitter using hashtag #PagePracticePodcast. Thank you, Topeka. Hearing the list of ways you've given feedback in the past is so relatable for many of us. It's interesting to hear how your practice has developed since then. Next, we'll hear from Sean. Hi, um, I'm Sean Ingram, the head of history at Claverham Community College in Battle. Um, I've been teaching for 18 years now um, as a head of house and more recently a subject leader. Um, do feel free to follow me at IngramShawn32 or Mr. I on Twitter, where I'm a serial retweeter of great history ideas and great teaching ideas too. But today 
I just wanted to share my experience of working with the feedback pendulum um, and how I put this fantastic book into practice. So this goes back to the removal of national curriculum levels, which I think initially gave some of us a bit of a shock, but also a huge opportunity to create an assessment strategy specifically tailored for our students. Now, I, like many others initially, jumped straight into the GCSE route, which was quite rightly changed, and went back to the proverbial drawing board. So I spent time reading and researching best practice wherever I could find it to try and create a new policy. But up until a few years ago, I had yet to really find something that I think worked for both me and my students. And my research just fell into the classic trap of scattergunning. I then followed uh, Michael Charles, the author of The Feedback Pendulum on Twitter, um, and his book was getting a lot of attention, so I gave it a go and, to be frank, was delighted because what The Feedback Pendulum did brilliantly is it provided a vision for assessment and combined this with best and up-to-date practice of loads of great practitioners. Um, in my view, it suits someone at any level. Um, for me as a subject leader, and I've also passed it on to our teaching and learning leads, but also for someone who is just starting out, um, I passed it on to my trainee teacher um, so that she could get a head start in assessment, assessment practice. So um, how did I put this book into practice? Well, there's a great quote in the feedback pendulum that says, after all, as humans, uh, we want to feel that the next steps are within our grasp. And this really resonated with me. Um, in our school, the assessment policy focuses on student improvement, specifically across two terms with a focus on a key skill. So for example, we learn about an aspect of history, for instance, the Industrial Revolution, and then test them on this with a skills-based question. So for example, what was the significance of the Industrial Revolution in term one? And then reassess them with different topics, but the same skill in term two. Um, that model is repeated in term three and four and five and six, and that's how the whole school um, approaches assessment. The key was ensuring that our targets were appropriate for the students and that feedback was manageable for both them and us. And again, this idea that I really liked in the feedback pendulum was the focus on the language of targets. So we used to use very standard targets like use more historical knowledge, uh, use more conjunctives. But then using that idea from the feedback pendulum, I changed it to make it more personal and seem more achievable. So for example, that standardised target became uh, something along the lines of, in my next assessment, I need to remember that good history answers have key historical knowledge like precise dates and facts. And then we lay out a suggested improvement tasks uh, where students then uh, correct an aspect from their work. Um, and that's immediately proved really key with the students because it makes them feel as though they can achieve the targets that we are laying out. Um, and it seems a little bit more personal. Again, um, we want to feel that the next steps are within our grasp. And I think that simple idea of changing the language has had a really big impact. Another idea that I quite seized upon was the idea of whole class feedback. Um, as always, I'm conscious of teacher workload, but also student improvement. Um, and Moy states in the feedback pendulum, we need to stop seeing feedback as something that is given and focus much more on our ability to take it and use it. Um, and this point was absolutely vital for where I wanted to go next. So I, like many teachers, follow uh, Greg Thornton on Twitter, um, who's an excellent, excellent teacher. Um, and his chapter on whole class feedback in the feedback pendulum was really useful, um, along with Amy Searle's section on delivering feedback in the secondary classroom. So based on those ideas, I created a whole class feedback sheet very much based on um, what Greg Thornton's made, um, but tailored it more for our students. And 
it now becomes the bridge from what students do in term one to term two so that students would always have their target and improvement work to hand so they can constantly refer to what they needed to do uh, to improve their historical skills. Now, um, this is all going into place this academic year um, and I actually trialled a whole class feedback sheet initially with some of my year 10s um, with some students who hadn't done quite as well as they thought and they wanted to know why. So honestly, they were writing all over those sheets it was really clear, um, a section on each question, a key takeaway, um, and this is huge. They were writing all over it. They wanted to improve their work, and I think that's something that's so important when it comes to assessment. It's about unlocking the student's understanding of how to improve and giving them the confidence to improve even when things don't go so well. Um, they all left the room knowing how to do better in the future, um, again, with this key uh, single point of reference to refer to, um, and the, all our assessments are done uh, in a key book, so they've got those progressional targets right the way throughout Key Stage 3 um, and through their whole school life. So here things started to really take shape, um, and I also took the idea that assessment shouldn't just help students improve but support our practice as well. So what I did was using um, other aspects of the book and combining them, I created a set of targets which could be logged in a shared department mark book. Now what this means is that I can see the areas where my, my students need to improve and adapt lessons of scheme of learnings accordingly, but as it's shared across the whole department, if I've got an area where my students haven't done things so well and another member of my department has done really well in that area, I can speak to that college and colleague and share this at a department meeting so that all this be best practice is constantly reflected on. So um, ultimately, I've got a plan in place which I think has a wide range of best practice that suits my students and our department. I think it's clear, reflective and hopefully will really help our students to do much better. So thanks very much to Mike and all the contributors to the Feedback Pendulum for providing so many useful insights. You're listening to From Page to Practice. Join the conversation on Twitter using hashtag PagePracticePodcast. Thank you, Sean. It's really valuable to hear how someone with lots of teaching experience, such as the 18 years you have, can change their practice and develop. You're right that this book is useful for teachers at all stages. Thank you for sharing your reflections. Next up, Kyle. Hello, I am Kyle Graham, a Trust Director of History across the Co-op Academy Trust. Um, I can be found at ktg underscore 1990 on Twitter. Um, so I actually have had the great pleasure of working with the author of this book, Michael Childs, last year um, as a Head of Humanities in King's Leadership Academy in Warrington. And as we said, it was, it was wonderful to see how the author himself uh, Im implemented a all of these strategies uh, within his own classroom. And I, as we said, I took a lot away from that. So what, what I'll do is I'll kind of mention a couple of the things that um, I've taken from the book and that I've implemented and I found really worked quite well because I, I could probably spend uh, at least an hour or more talking about this one book alone. Uh, never mind, obviously, the, uh, the his, his prior book and there's actually another one coming out um, this, this month as well. So even more to talk about. Uh, so I'll, I'll start off with a couple of different things then. So, and I'm going to try and focus on the things that I think are kind of really, really easily transferable across um, 
multiple subjects. Uh, so the, the first thing is um, Michael Childs talks about verbal live feedback in the feedback pendulum, um, which kind of proves the power of circulating around the classroom, uh, which is something I think that we should try and get back to as much as possible now that, um, you know, that the kind of COVID thing is there. I, I was doing it, as we said, regardless uh, in the year, but I do know that obviously there's been some uh, kind of restrictions in place in certain places about moving around the classroom just because of COVID, and I, and I perfectly understand that. Um, but I think circulating around the classroom to kind of keep an eye on what the students are doing and seeing who needs kind of support or, or pushing um, and giving students that kind of one to one live feedback as they're writing uh, is really, really useful. Uh, and it allows for you to mark the student's best work uh, whenever eventually the work does come in rather than uh, necessarily having to wait for them to... Uh, you know, kind of hand stuff in and go, oh, you know what, if I just noticed that whenever I was walking around the room, I could have improved what they were doing. So I think it works really well to do that. Um, however, you can also do it for verbal answers, as um, as Charles points out in his book, uh, by asking students to improve an answer that they have given to a question that you've asked them verbally, uh, or add something additional uh, into it that they may have missed. Uh, for example, oh, that's a really good answer. Can you find a quote from the source that supports that? Or oh, that's a really good answer. Can you link it back to the question at the end there? So I think things like that are, are really particularly useful. And it's, it's, it's creating that kind of academic language that, that students can, can, if they can speak in it, they can write in it. Um, some really good points um, from Childs on questioning in general. Um, uh, something I think is really, really important. I think questioning is probably the most powerful tool in the entirety of our kind of teaching bat belt, as it were. Um, so Charles recommends extending questions by asking students why uh, they think certain things, which is really, really useful. I think we should always do that um, to explain their thinking. There's you know, some metacognition in there. Um, to extend uh, upon the things that they've said. Okay, so that's a really good answer. Can you just extend upon that? Um, what evidence supports the point that they're making? Asking for examples to support their arguments. I think it's a really, really important tool, especially in history where it's such a big part of what they do. Um, another one is the I do, we do, and then you do kind of element of modelling. Now, it's, it's, uh, quite, um, it's becoming quite popular, this, but I actually really, really like how how Charles kind of adds this into his own particular um, book uh, with his own examples in there. So, yeah, he kind of really emphasises kind of you're the expert in the room and if, if students are exposed to kind of how you formulate ideas, I think is the idea behind this, uh, and the answers you'd give, then it will only serve to help them. So it's like show, it starts off in the book. It's got some really, really good examples of this in there as well to show you how you can maybe set this out. So show the students an example uh, of an answer that you've written uh, and talk them through it. Get them to, to highlight things that the, the class needs to work on. Like, for example, in history, specific historical examples or, as I said previously, link sentences that specifically address the question. Uh, I would focus on, on, on things in here that the students, perhaps, you've identified in previous marking that they've perhaps been weak with or things that you know um, are misconceptions or things that people do struggle with. It can be really powerful because um, what you can do then is you can provide live feedback to the students then in the next section. So when you're doing the we do bit and you're getting them to formulate the answer as a class, you can provide live feedback to them. So if, for, if a student gets anything uh, wrong or you want them to expand upon it, you can you can ask them that or you need them to power up their language to make it a little bit more academic or add because into their sentences to make sure they're explaining in more depth. 
Um, and then obviously the student completes their own independent version, fully equipped to get where they need to do, having seen how you, as the subject expert, would do it, doing it as a class where you've been guiding them and correcting them if there's been any mistakes, and then ultimately they're then equipped to go and do the question themselves. Perhaps you can uh, power up again, which is something I've seen um, Charles do in the classroom, which is by highlighting where they've done the things that you've actually asked for uh, as specific examples. So whenever you've uh, kind of put some things in there and say, oh, right, so last time we didn't add this in, maybe they highlight where they've added it in that time to make them think, or they look at the success criteria and they highlight that where it appears. And um, just a final one from me, because it's a little bit different, um, by comparison to the other things, which are all kind of really pedagogical. The last one is is observation feedback. Um, and again, I sort of kind of had this in action last year working with, working with, with Mike and um, kind of seeing him in action, how he does this. Moving away from generic feedback that we give to people whenever we've seen them teach a lesson, like things like, oh, you need to question more or you need to do this more, or do this more, to get something more specific and more tangible. Because questioning's huge. So what about the questioning needs to be improved? How? When by? How will you support the staff getting there? For example, is it cold calling they need to work on? Is it expanding their answers that they need to work on? What particular thing is it that the staff need to do? And how are you going to make sure that they get there with that feedback? Be super specific. Ask probing questions. Things like that. And involve them in the whole process. So those are just a, a short handful of the things that I took away from uh, the feedback pendulum. Uh, I would definitely highly recommend the, the, the book itself. Um, and I know that Mike's always willing to answer questions on it as well. It's a really, really, really good read. Very, very useful for on a wide, wide range um, of different things, as, as you can probably tell from the fact we move from live feedback to questioning to modeling to even observation feedback. Uh, I couldn't recommend it enough. So yeah, that's uh, that's all that from me, uh, Kyle Graham. As I said, if you uh, want to find me on Twitter, it's at KTG underscore 1990. Thank you very much. You're listening to From Page to Practice. Join the conversation on Twitter using hashtag Page Practice Podcast. Thank you, Kyle. You raise a really good point when you speak about having seen the author of a book actually applying this in their own classroom. I think that's what makes books like this one so useful, knowing that they've come directly from a teacher who is seeing at work and just wants to share their practice to support others. Finally, we're here from Daniel. Hi Bex, thank you for allowing me to contribute to this discussion on Michael Childs' fantastic book, The Feedback Pendulum. My name is Daniel Bull and I'm an assistant head teacher in a secondary school and also the producer and creator of More Than A Job podcast, which can also be found on Twitter at underscore more than a job or online at morethanajob.co.uk. I first came across Michael when I saw something he put out on Twitter regulating to feedback, whole class feedback in particular, and I went straight onto Amazon and purchased the feedback pendulum and couldn't put the book down. It certainly is a, a truly fantastic book that completely and utterly changed my whole mindset or philosophy understanding about feedback and certainly one thing in particular that really really made me rethink about what we do as a school and what I will hopefully do in the future as a school leader of my own is the true value of parents evening and how we we give feedback to parents 
I think about the annual parents' evenings, and whilst there are a lot of really, really important soft things that come out of it, such as the face-to-face relationships, such as commending students for all the fantastic things they've done throughout the year, and the wonderful young men and women they've turned into, which are really, really important, I do question the actual value of that five-minute rushed chat in a school hall in a cafeteria, in a sports hall, where there's a queue of people waiting and the member of staff doesn't have the appropriate length of time to truly delve into all the things that need to be done in order to, to move forward and to develop. And I find very much that it's, it is very much a case of feedback as opposed to feed forward. It almost is just a, a narrative of the year and what's happened. So it is making me really, really think about what we're going to do in schools. And when I read it, I instantly thought, what is the true value of these parents' evenings? Could we reallocate that 15 to 30 hours per year in our directed time to perhaps more departmental time? And instead, we're instructing classroom teachers, heads of departments to continually feedback throughout the year where it's appropriate. If you're a year 10 parent and you get your first parents evening on July the 1st at the end of year 10, what real value is that to you? A whole year has gone by. And if that's the first piece of feedback you've had, is that really effective? I also want to to, to really ask the question, do we adequately and regularly and sufficiently explain to parents what is going on in schools? Do parents understand how students learn? Do they understand retrieval practice, memory models? Do they understand the cognitive science? Because I'm fairly sure that if I was a parent hearing all this information, I wouldn't really know what it was. And as a result, I wouldn't be able to sufficiently support my son or daughter at home. So I'm wondering, are we better giving information to parents where they understand the school's philosophy, where they understand the school's behaviour policy, where they understand how we feedback, how we learn, how things are sequenced. Michael Charles' book also made me think about written marking and colleagues I've spoken to in multiple schools have said the fact that there's an expectation of, of lots and lots of written marking is making them feel stressed, is putting a lot of pressure on them. What they're not then able to do is dedicate their time and expertise to identifying misconceptions in the previous lessons, liaising with other colleagues in their department in order to find out what else has happened, and how we can keep developing the curriculum throughout and keep moving it on. So what would I advocate as a result of this? Whole class feedback. Scrap that formal, onerous written marking. Instead, let's use whole class feedback. Let's use live marking throughout. I use class charts in my in my classes, and every single lesson, without fail, I use the randomised feature, and every single kid has a chance of being picked out. But using one of the fantastic models that Michael's got in his book of, of when he breaks down, say, strands of questioning, I've embedded a real culture in there. All the students know what the question is going to be. I tell them what the question is going to be. Or 
what the series of questions are going to be. I then give them adequate wait time. For example, I might say, this is going to be the question I'm going to, to put to you um, in, in a couple of minutes. I'm going to take the register to give you a chance to think about it. Then I'm going to randomize. It's cold calling and there's no opt out. So I'm being very specific, very explicit in my instruction and how I'm going to question, which then does allow me to give adequate feedback instantly, live. If there's a misconception that is identified by two or three students by questioning two or three students, I can instantly reshape the lesson straight away. What if I didn't mark their books for six or seven more lessons and I didn't know that? Which is the more effective? In my, in my argument, is the life the live marking throughout. I would imagine every single learner in my classroom, every single lesson is getting feedback tens of time per lesson. With cold calling, with, with no opt-out, by, by pre-setting the question, giving adequate wait time, I think that's something we can do. Michael's book is fantastic. He's wonderful to speak to. He's a, he's a really, really fantastic font of knowledge on feedback. And I very, very much look forward to, to really getting my teeth stuck into the sweet spots. And I'm also hoping on More Than A Job podcast, we can speak to Michael about the sweet spot and, and really delve into more of his fantastic insight into feedback. But really appreciate the opportunity to give some feedback on Michael's book. And if people want to contact me, I am on Twitter at Daniel T. Bull or through More Than A Job, which is at underscore More Than A Job. And I'll be very happy to, to chat through with things with people. Thank you. You're listening to From Page to Practice. Join the conversation on Twitter using hashtag Page Practice Podcast. Thank you, Daniel. It was nice to hear you pick up on different aspects of the book than our other readers today. So thank you. The next episode of From Page to Practice will be coming in only a week's time and will be on the boy question. I still need more voices for the episode, so please do get in touch to contribute your thoughts. The following episode and the final before half term will be Habits of Success by Harry Fletcher Wood. So also get in contact about that one, please. Sorry again for the delay in this episode and I hope you've enjoyed. Bye. You've been listening to From Page to Practice. Don't forget to join in the conversation using hashtag page practice podcast. Alternatively, to suggest a book or article or volunteer to contribute to an episode, visit learninglinguist.co.uk forward slash page practice podcast. Thanks go to Kevin McLeod of Incomtech.com for use of the tracks Cheery Monday and Fuzzball Parade, which are licensed under Creative Commons.